When we look in the book of Genesis, we see God says, the scripture says God said seven times in that first chapter. God said. The Bible is all about God said. And it doesn't try to defend that position when God said, let there be light, for example. There just was light. When God has a said moment over your life, things begin to happen. In Genesis 1, verses 6 through 8, by the way, at this rate, we will finish Genesis in about 20 years. And we're going to go a little deep today, and we're going to look at some science, we're going to look at theology, and we're going to look at our hearts. But if you have your Bibles or you want to follow along on the screen, Genesis chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and morning were the second day. Now, you probably look at that scripture and say, what is he going to do with that? You'd be surprised. In 1.6, it simply says, God said. Interesting, I was found myself on the NASA website studying space, the universe, and I came across this statement, in incomplete comprehensible as it sounds, inflation poses that the universe initially expanded far faster than the speed of light and grew from a subatomic size to a golf ball size almost instantaneously. That's what the, the Bible says, how God created. He spoke it into existence. Science has a great task ahead of them, catching up with the Bible. We're gonna show you some examples of that today. In verse 8, it says, and God called the firmament heaven. That word firmament, you'll see it many times in Scripture, but it literally means the expanse that is an arch or a vault. For example, we're going to see a little bit later that he says, look up into the stars. Look into the firmament. You're going to see the handiwork of God. And when I, when I was watching the Discovery Station about 15 years ago, they had a guy on, they were interviewing him and the scientist, and they asked him the question, what's the shape of the universe? And they said, well, it's kind of like a cloak. If you can imagine, like, like a hole at the top and a hole at the bottom, and it just flows down. And I thought, well, this is not very insightful because the Bible says that the universe is in the shape of the, the garment of the high priest, open at the top, open at the bottom, long flowing down. So then I went back on NASA and I said, well, let me see what they think it looks like and I'm gonna give you an image right off NASA's website. This is it. You'll notice that it looks like an arch or a vault, doesn't it? This is the shape of the universe. This is exactly the Hebrew word. It says it is a arch or an expanse that is like a vault. Then it talks about, God says that this firmament is heaven. And the, the Hebrew word for heaven is the word shamaim. Let's try that together. Little Hebrew lesson. Ready? Shamaim. Kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Well, shamaim means their waters. Now, imagine if you're 
Abraham or you're Moses or you're one of the others and, and you've got this idea and you look up into the sky and you say, there are waters. You say, well, they were probably talking about rain. Remember, it had not rained, never, it did not rain until Genesis chapter six. It's the first time it rained. We refer to those who travel in space as an astronaut. The word astron, star, and nauticus refers to water. Literally, an astronaut is one who travels through the stars in the water. The word heaven, shamim, means their waters. Back to NASA for a moment. Astronomers have discovered the largest reservoir of water ever detected in the universe. The water equivalent to 140 trillion times all the water in the world's ocean surrounds a huge feeding black hole called a quasar. You see, when God separated the water from the water, he was talking about the water of the universe. When God caused the great flood to come on the earth, he simply opened up the great deep, which was in the heavens. Heaven reveals the very glory of God. Look at Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens, that is the Shamaim, declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. You see, when you look into the stars, when you look into the, into the universe, if you find yourself looking up and you, you position yourself, you see the North Star, also called the Pole Star, and you'll notice that there's not a lot of stars around it. It's because God put it there for guidance for the ancient sea-faring people. But it's the alleyway into the Milky Way galaxy. Now, scientists have discovered lately that that uh, the earth is always expanding. The universe is always expanding, rather. The, it's just constantly growing, and the, and the Bible says that, that he is Lord of worlds to come, that there is no limit to the creativity or the expansion of what God does, whether it's in a universe or whether it's in your heart. See, there's no limit. There's no limit to what you can know about God. You, the only limitation is you. Say, I don't want to go any further with God. I don't want to go any deeper with God. I don't want God to take a greater part of my life. Let's go to Ezekiel 126, see a little bit more about the firmament. Above the firmament, over their heads, was a likeness of a throne. In appearance like a sapphire stone, on the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. This prophet Ezekiel had this vision, and he saw this firmament, this heaven, and he said, and he said, oh, it was over their heads, and in the appearance, it was like sapphire stone. It was like some kind of a translucent sapphire. And it seemed to be the throne room of the very King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He saw the appearance of a man. Who was that? That was the Son of Man, he saw. Exodus 24, verses 9 and 10. Moses went up also, and Aaron, and Nabab, and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Do you realize that these glimpses that God gave them, that God gives you and I, are glimpses to remind us that he's God? It's easy to get caught up in the mundane of, of day-to-day living in this natural world and, and miss out on what God is really showing us through his word. 
You see, the word is called inspired. It literally is a Greek word that means God breathed. When you read the word of God, you're reading the breath of God. It's not a religious book like other books. It's unique. It's one of a kind. So when you read in the prophet Ezekiel and you're reading there and you're going, what is going on here? Is, th- is the throne room, is, the, is heaven like, like a sapphire stone? And then we're, we're taken into the book of Revelation and, and there John the apostle said, I stood before as it were a crystal sea. Maybe that was John's explanation of a sapphire stone, a frozen sea. The heaven has windows. It's kind of an amazing thing when you begin to study this subject of heaven because all we think about is heaven is a place I'm gonna go when I die. But it's so much more than that. Remember, Jesus said that when you pray, you need to pray that there's no distance between heaven and earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is already being done in heaven. We bring heaven to earth. That's what prayer is. Prayer is bringing the reality and the power, the authority of the kingdom to bear on your situation. That's why miracles happen. People say, well, don't you think that's just a coincidence? Every time I pray and a miracle happens, I love those coincidences. There's a direct connection between your intercession and the miracles you experience in your life. You know, the book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Have you you got a fear of God? I don't mean the kind that causes you to, you know, to roll up in in a ball and, and, and are afraid of God. I'm talking about the fear of respect for who he is. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in my understanding of the fear of the Lord. It's easy for Phil to think Phil's got it all handled, and I don't. It's when I enter into the fear of the Lord that I understand that he is a mighty God, that he holds the very breath of, that's in my lungs in his hand, that he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. He sees the end from the beginning, everything simultaneously. He's always in the present, eternal now. That's our God. In Malachi, oh, let me just say this. This question came to my mind. Have you traded windows of heaven for doors of opportunity? It's easy. I, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, this is a great opportunity. Or I have so many opportunities, I don't know what to do with them. Maybe you've said that. I've certainly said that. Instead of saying, what are the windows of heaven doing? What is God bringing to bear on the situation versus what am I making happen in my world? We live right now in a a world where inflation is running crazy, where there's so much money being given away that they're just, I, I can't, it's unfathomable what's happening. And yet there's disorder and chaos in our world. You can't fix problems with human ingenuity. You can only fix things with God. But I thought about this idea of windows in heaven. It's mentioned several times, but I want to take you to one in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. 
He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me or test me in this. Now says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that you may not be room enough to receive it. The most fascinating thing for me is that when people who say they know the Lord and fear the Lord and they don't do what God says to do. I mean, we've all experienced that, right? But I hear people say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Gas costs so much and food costs so much. I'm going to tell you what I found. I found that I can give my way out, out of a problem. You know, there's, there's never been a dollar I've earned as a believer I've not tithed. And it's been times where it was thin. Life was thin. I thought, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. I don't know how I'm going to pay, pay, make a car payment. I don't know what I'm going to do what. But I said, God, I'm going I'm to fear the Lord, and I'm going to honor you. I believe some of you are experiencing financial difficulty because you're withholding the tithe from the Lord. And it's, it's viewed as a flexible expense versus a fixed expense, unlike paying your taxes or your mortgage is seen to be a fixed expense. In reality, God says the first tenth is mine. I, I want you to dig deep in your heart. Just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, what do I need to do? And I, I think you're going to get a clear message from God. Honor me. And I'm going to open up the windows of heaven for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you in a way that you can't even imagine. I just, people say, isn't it hard to talk about giving? It's the easiest subject in the world. Let me tell you why. Because I know it's the fastest route to blessing. It's the fastest. And it doesn't make any accounting sense. None. I was pastoring uh, years ago, and I, and I gave this challenge. I said, uh, if, you'll, if you're in bad shape and you're, you're not tithing, I'm going to just challenge you to give for 90 days, and if, if God doesn't bless you in an amazing way, you know, we'll give all your tithe back to you. You know, whenever you say things like that, the minute you say it, you kind of regret it. <laughs> and a guy came up to me, and he said, hey, can I see you this week? And I said, sure, and he brought me all of his his checkbook, his bills, and everything else, and he looked at it. He said, you show me how I can tithe. And I said, you know what? If, if ever a guy needs to tithe, it's you because you're in a mess. You're in a mess financially. I don't know any way out of it. He's already working two jobs and going to school, going to be an airplane mechanic of all things. So anyway, about 30 days in, he came up to me. He said, hey, nothing's changing. It's getting worse. Now, who do you think was praying harder, him or me? <laughs> 60 days go. Nothing's getting better, Pastor. I, I'm getting ready to, I'm thinking, Lord, I know I opened my mouth and put my foot in there, but God, would you just bless this guy? 40, about, about halfway through that third month, he came to me, he said, hey, I got some good news. I've got an interview with American Airlines to be a mechanic. And if, that, if I get that job, it's going to be, it's going to pay a lot. It's going to take care of all kinds of problems in my life. And I said, that's great. I said, how many, how many people are they going to interview? He said, about 300. Oh, good Lord. 
Why couldn't he say three? <laughs> anyway, he gets the, the interview, and the person doing the interview said, you know, I'm really not supposed to do this, but she said, are you a Christian? And he said, I am. He said, you know, I thought you were. She said, I thought you were. She said, you know, there are other people that are more qualified than you in some ways, but in other ways, we really like you and feel like you're a viable candidate, and we're going to give you the job. It was within a 90-day window. He ended up moving to take that job into another state. About a year later, he knocked on my door. I recognized him immediately. I'd spent a lot of time in prayer for that guy. He said, I want, you to, I, want to, I want you to do me a favor. He said, whenever you, it's an opportunity and it seems right, would you tell my story? Because I want you to know God is still blessing me. God is honoring that 90-day challenge you gave me in my life. Now, that might seem like an isolated story to you, but I could tell hundreds of stories like that, miracle stories. I tell it to you because I'm your pastor, because I'm your leader, because I want what's best for you. And I know how God works in the kingdom. I know how he works in the kingdom. I've watched him so many years now. I've seen him. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is the heart of God, 28. It says, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens. This is how God opens the treasures to you. It's through the heavens. To give you rain to your land in the season, to bless all the work of your hand, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above uh, only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today to be careful to observe them. See, God is, God is just so in love with you, and he wants you to be blessed. I'm, put it in perspective of your children. I mean, if your child comes to you and has a legitimate need, what do you say? You say, you little selfish booger, get out of here. No, you don't. You, you try to find a way to make it happen. You know, when you think about taking care of your children, how do you think? You think about like, well, I, I want to I make sure they're clothed. I want to make sure they're safe. I want to make sure they're fed. I want to make sure that they have moments of, of, of gifting where I can just hand them something and they can rejoice. You, all those things. Imagine that in a perfected way. That's the heavenly father. That's what he does. He's always thinking about you. But you see, all the promises of God are conditional. They're not unconditional. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. What's the condition? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you as your heart. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see the condition? All the promises of God are conditioned. They're not, they're not just unrestricted. God's just, you say, well, how come God's blessing that guy? Go talk to him and find out what's going on in their life. How do you get in this? I, I, I want to get under the spout when the water comes out. How do I get there? How do I see the divine flow of God in my life? 
Don't ever rise up in jealousy or, or criticism someone because God seems to be blessing them in a way that, that you're not being blessed. Go t- investigate, what are you doing? And you might find out there's just, there's, it's not that complicated. It's just not that complicated. I remember, uh, I'm gonna tell one other story. This is a good story. We, we were first married. We had one car, and we lived about six or seven miles from the church, and we had a little baby, had two little babies at the time. And so we're trying to, I had to get there early. We had a couple of services, and, you know, we're trying to figure out the car thing. We can't figure out the car thing. And this guy walks up to me in church, and he says, uh, hey, preacher, do you need another car? He said, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to loan it to you, but you can. But I'll take care of all the maintenance. All you have to do is put gas in it. And it was this giant Chrysler. You know, I mean, it wouldn't be a gift today. It would be like two miles a gallon, but it, it was like as long as this building. And But anyway, uh, but it was useful. I mean, it, we got back and forth. It just was a blessing of the Lord to have this, this giant car. And... Uh, Guy comes up, comes up to me, and he says, hey, preacher, my, my son's kind of in a bad way. And we'd had it probably six, eight months. He said, and I need that car back. And I said, sure. Ed, no problem. I gave him the keys, and then we're trying to figure out what we're going to do uh, about a car. And my granddad died. And I thought, you know, maybe granddad, I'm the only grandchild he had. I mean, maybe he'll give me something. I mean, tell me you don't think like that. I mean, I... Right? And uh, they had the reading of the will, and nope, Phil wasn't named. I thought, ah, well, that's all right. You know, split between the, his two sons, my mom and, and my uncle. And then they were going through a safe deposit box, and they found a handwritten note. And he said, uh, and give my car to Phil, because preachers always need a car. And he gave us this car. It was not a Chrysler. This was a Plymouth just about the same size. We called it Big Red. And Big Red had been wrecked so many times, my granddad wasn't a great driver, and, and the frame was bent, so it kind of ran down the road sideways. But you know what? God provided. Within a week of giving that car back, we got the other car. You see, those are, those are the, that's the way God works. Heaven requires holiness. Heaven requires holiness. Holiness is a decision of your will. It is what you choose to do with your life. It is your conduct. Holiness is doing those things that please him. It's what you do with your time, your money, your actions. It is living to please God. Do you realize that God has called us all to holiness? Not perfection, The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times but rises again, but the wicked fall in the day of destruction. They don't get back up. You might fall down. You might mess up. You might get on the wrong road. But you see, that that conviction you feel in your heart is of God, and he pulls you back into relationship. And we have all kind of ways to help you be in relationship. You know, tonight we have our men's rally. We're so excited about the men. Um, you know, we, those, some of you got uh, the opportunity to go to our uh, men's retreat uh, last year, last November, and it really fired up the guys and, and just 
I mean, turn some warriors into some guys. I'm telling you what. And uh, we're, we're going to do three of these rallies this year and then have another retreat in October. But we feel like the rallies are the way to keep the fire burning in the hearts of men. So, ladies, uh, if you're married, got a boyfriend, got a, or a guy sitting next to you, say, you need to go. Just tell him you need to go. Go ahead and tell him right now. You need to go. Now, guys are prone to not want to do anything. Trust me, I'm one of those guys. You know, my wife pries me out of a situation like whether I'm reading, I'm laying on the couch, I'm, just, I don't, I'm doing nothing. And she said, we got to go. I said, no, I'm not going. I don't want to go. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm not doing anything, but I don't want to do that. No, you need to be here tonight, guys. It's going to be great for you. You know why? Because it, what it does is it, it's training in righteousness. See, that's what it does, training in righteousness. You know, in the, in the writing of the Hebrews, uh, the human race is divided into three categories. The Zedekim, which are the righteous. The Benonim, which are the indifferent. And the Rashim, the evildoers. If you think about it, like, where are you at in that? Are you the righteous? Are you saying, I'm pursuing righteousness with my life, or I'm a little indifferent about it? Jesus said this in Matthew 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means I stop doing what I'm doing. That is the way I'm thinking, the way I'm acting, the way I'm living. And I turn around and I head in this direction. I'm going to go this direction with God now. How many times do you have to repent? I don't know. Depends on how bad a day I'm having. Amen? Right? You don't repent once. Go, I got that. Glad I got that over with. You, you want to make a short list with God. That is, you know, confess your faults, confess your sins as you do them. And what it does is it brings a God awareness to you so that you live in this moment of, of holiness before the Lord. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? I've had, I've had guys say to me, you know, I, I know I, I can't come to church. You know, the roof would fall in. And, uh, you know, the Lord doesn't really love me anymore, all I've done. And then they'll tell me what they've done. And I go, you're an amateur. I got, I got five guys worse than you. Roof hadn't fallen in. It's all good. Because, you see, God is always cleansing, right? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. One of my favorite scriptures, Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Isn't there something just cleansing about confession? It's just like, I'm just, you know, and, and, and sometimes you just, you're sharing with a friend. You're sharing with a, with a brother or sister in Christ. You're just saying, hey, you know, I just, need to, I just need to get this off my heart. I know it's the Lord I confess to, and I know it's the Lord that forgives me, but man, I just, uh, and then you just go, wow, I'm glad that got that out of my life. It's healthy. It's the way we're meant to be. Took a shower last night. <laughs> Hadn't had one all day. Came out, Tammy, I was dressed at this point. Came out, I said, Tammy, took a shower. She said, and you smell good. 
Hey, guess what? When you take a shower of the Holy Spirit, you smell better. You feel better. You are better. Amen? Amen. You see, confess, confess to the Lord and just say, God, I want to go with you. I want to be a righteous man, a righteous woman. I want to live in holiness and purity. I want to put away those things that are hindering my walk. And I want to walk with you, God. I want my whole heart, all my everything, my mind, my soul, every part of my being to walk with you, Lord God. Let's stand together. Before we sing this song, I want you just to take a moment, do a little time with God right now and just just ask God to, to reveal to you anything that needs to be forsaken and anything that needs to be confessed before him right now, God. Just say, Lord, just take this away. Just take this away, God. I confess to you my faults. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, Lord. God, wash me that I might be clean. God, fill me with your spirit now. Fill me. Holy Spirit of God, take control of my mind, my will, and my emotions. Let me see things the way you see things. Let me walk in truth and in righteousness and holiness, God. And let me, let me just uh, bring all your principles and all your plans into my life that I might see the blessing of the Lord in my family, in my business. See, God wants to bless your business and your family and your community and your life and your future and generations to come, but he's waiting for you. All those promises of God are all conditional promises. They're all conditional. Give it to him now. Give it to him now. God, I give it to you right now. And as we sing, I, let, let, your, let your voice as it goes up, let it be a proclamation that I'm in agreement with God. I'm just agreeing with God. You know, sometimes we hold two hands up. That's not a bad thing to do. It's like surrender. You know, I give up. You got me there, God. Amen. I surrender to God. I just surrender to God. Amen.